Well, good morning, 1030 service. Good to have you guys with us. Those of you who are here and those of you who are joining us online. Ooh, let me fix my headset. Today we are continuing in the fifth week of our Easter series called I Am Jesus in His Own Words. And again, if you are uh, new here today or watching online, or if this is your first time maybe back in a while, we're excited that you guys are here. Um, but I just want to calm your fears. Know the pastor is not unstable and claiming to be Jesus. Don't run away. This is just the title of our Easter series because what we've been doing in this series is we've been looking at the seven I Am statements that Jesus Jesus made in the Gospel of John. We're looking at Jesus through his own words. And if you missed any of the past weeks um, of this series, you can always go um, to YouTube and to be able to catch those past messages. But I want to give you a quick recap this morning. We began this series by looking at Jesus saying, I am the good shepherd, that he loves and cares for us. And then on Palm Sunday, we discovered that Jesus is the vine and we're the branches that if we stay connected in him, we're we're going to start to bear some good fruit in our lives. Uh, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. And then on Easter Sunday, we, we looked at this idea that the resurrection isn't just an event, but it's a person. And that things don't stay dead when Jesus, the resurrection, enters a life. That it's life-changing. And then last week, we looked at a really inspirational, life-changing I am statement where Jesus interacted with this woman who was caught in the act of adultery, and he offered something to her that he offers to us, which is forgiveness and grace and hope for the future. When he said, I am the light of the world, whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Now, today we're going to unpack one of the more controversial I am statements that Jesus made, and it's found in John chapter 10, verse 9. So if you have your Bible or Bible app, go ahead and head to John chapter 10, verse 9. As always, we'll also put it up on the screens for you to be able to see. And as we've been doing throughout this series, um, as we're looking at these powerful I am statements by Jesus, let's read from the scriptures together if we can do that. So here's what Jesus said. Jesus said this. Let's say it together, church. Are you ready? Jesus said, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. That's right. So as we've been doing over the past several weeks, let's look at this passage kind of in context in which it was said. Um, this I am statement was found again in John chapter 10, but right before Jesus makes this powerful and controversial statement in John chapter 9, he does this really incredible but kind of gross miracle where he spits on the ground and he makes some mud and he rubs it in the eyes of this guy who has been blind since birth, and then he tells him to go and wash in a local pool, and then Jesus walks away. And so this man with mud in his eyes, he goes, and people probably helped him get there, and he gets to this pool, and he washes his eyes, and it's a miracle he can see for the first time in his life. And so naturally, he just starts celebrating. And the people who know him, they're in absolute shock at, at what has just happened. And, and so they take this man to the religious leaders, the Pharisees, to report this miracle. Because that's what you did when a miracle happened. You took it to the Pharisees. They were the religious leaders. They were the experts who could determine if it was really a miracle or not. These were the guys who were supposed to be looking out for the Messiah who was supposed to come. 
The problem was they didn't like Jesus because he didn't fit their view of God. You see, they had this very little God box, and, and they thought anything outside of that, it couldn't possibly be God. And so they, they started complaining and arguing about this miracle. They complained about the day of the week that the miracle happened on, because you weren't supposed to do any work on the Sabbath. So God possibly couldn't possibly heal somebody from blindness on that day. And they try to explain away this clear miracle of God. And the story is actually a pretty hilarious one. If you read it in, in John chapter 9, it kind of becomes like a game show, are you smarter than a Pharisee? And they keep grilling him with the same questions over and over and over again. They call his parents in. They start to grill his parents. And then at one point, they even ask him to describe this guy who opened his eyes. And the blind guy's like, are you kidding me? How would I know that? I was blind. I mean, he put mud in my eyes. Then he left. I went over to a pool. I washed my face. Then I could see. I never even saw what he looked like. The only thing I know is his name was Jesus, and I was blind, but now I can see. And the Pharisees, they get so mad that finally they kick him out of the church. They excommunicate him because he won't stop talking about Jesus. It's the best day of his entire life. He can see for the very, very first time. And on the best day of his life, he gets kicked out of his church. It's crazy. But then Jesus hears what happens and he finds this blind man who he has healed. And Jesus reveals to him who he truly is. And Jesus says that the blind will see, but those who see will be blind. But the story doesn't end there because see some Pharisees are hanging around and they overhear this conversation and so they start to push back on Jesus saying, what are you saying, Jesus? You're saying we're blind? Is that what you're saying? Is that what you're trying to say to us? You're saying that we're missing out on God, the audacity of that. And then Jesus dives into this incredible teaching in John chapter 10 and he says this, in John chapter 10, verse 1, very truly, I tell you, what's the next word? Pharisees. Don't miss that. We'll get back to that in a second. Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way, is a thief and a robber. Jesus says, Pharisees, just as the sheep pen has a gate and there's a right way to enter it, so it is when it comes to looking at God. And there may have been false messiahs out there. I mean, you may have been on the lookout for them, but I'm the real deal standing right in front of your face and you guys are blind. You're missing it. And then Jesus starts to unpack it for them, starting in verse seven, saying this. He said, very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers. There were a lot of fakes and phonies out there, but the sheep have not listened to them. But I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. And, and let's just be real this morning. That's a pretty audacious statement. Can we agree? I mean, that's a pretty bold statement by Jesus. I mean, the only person who would say something like that, I am the gate, whoever enters through me will be saved. The only person who would say something like that is a crazy person, a lunatic, or maybe a liar from the pit of hell, or perhaps, just perhaps, someone who really was the son of God. And then Jesus uses this illustration of the gate to reveal who he is again in the Gospel of Matthew, where he says this in Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 to 14. He says, enter through the narrow gate, 
For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction and many enter through it, but small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life and only a few find it. And the fascinating thing about that text, just as in John chapter 10, is that Jesus wasn't talking to unchurched, irreligious people. He was talking to the Pharisees, the most religious people on the planet. And what he was saying was many religious people, many church people are on a road to destruction. And so if you're with us today, if, if you're here in service or if you're watching us online and, and you're kind of on the fence, I mean, you don't really consider yourself a Christian, first off, we are so glad that you're joining us today. And in a couple of weeks when we end this series, I'm really going to focus in on you and, and maybe try to tackle some questions that you might have about the Christian faith. But, but this week, while I hope that you get something out of this message, you're, you're kind of off the hook today. Because I'm really focused this morning on talking to church people like Jesus did in John 10 and in Matthew 7, where he unpacked quite possibly some of the scariest verses in the entire Bible. But before we dive into that today, let me just kind of give us a recap where we kind of landed at the end of last week. You see, last week we talked about this idea of holiness that God gives us hope for a future, that we have the ability not to just stumble along in sin through our entire life, but that we can actually have victory over sin. But see, here's what we need to understand about holiness. Holiness isn't about checking off a list of rules. That's the trap the Pharisees fell into. And you know, that, that's a, a trap that I used to believe and fall into as well. That's the trap of religion. I remember as a, as a young teen, coming to Christ, I, I was so worried about things like how I dressed and, and what music I listened to and if I knew the right church words to say to church people. But I never let people around me see the real me. I mean, back then there wasn't COVID going around, but I walked around with just as real a mask on my face all the time. But that's not what holiness is about. Holiness is about loving and trusting God with your whole heart. It's about living daily in a love relationship with him. See, when you're pursuing holiness, Jesus isn't just a part of your life for one or two hours on a Sunday morning. No, he's everything. And church, I love you guys. So I don't want you to miss out on the greater things, the greater plan, the greater story that God has for you. And so my hope today for many of you professed Christians is that you would maybe start to repent a little bit of your religion and step into a personal relationship with Jesus. Because like the Pharisees, when we're blind to the truth, we can wind up getting hurt and missing out and looking ridiculous. Let me explain it this way. When I was a, a little kid, I think I've shared this illustration with you guys in the past. When I was a little kid growing up in the 80s, I remember being so excited when I got my very first pair of underoos. How many of you guys remember underoos? Can I see a show of hands? 
Okay, a bunch of you do. For those of you who have no clue what underoos are, they, they were underwear for kids that were based off of superheroes. And for me, as a, a little six-year-old kid, what I wanted more than anything in the world was Superman underoos. I loved the Christopher Reeves Superman movies. And, and I, I know there's some people here who might be Batman fans. And, you know, Batman's done some cool things. He's made some, some good movies. But like Iron Man, if you take away his gadgets and if you take away all his money, he's just a dude. In fact, I would argue this and might reveal my nerdiness a little bit, but I would argue that technically Batman should not be considered a superhero, but just a hero because he doesn't have any superpowers. And by the way, Ben Affleck doesn't scare me. I, I think I could take him in a fight. But as a kid, I loved Superman. And I wanted laser beams to come out of my eyes. And more than anything, I wanted to fly. And so I constantly begged my mom every time we went to Kmart to buy me some Superman underoos. And finally, finally she caved in and I was literally bouncing around the car on the way home that day. When we got home, I put on my underoos and I started running around the house because I believed that now that I had these, I was going to be able to fly. And so I jumped off of my bed. And that didn't work. And then I ran into the living room and I got up on the couch and I ran across our couch and I jumped off the couch and that didn't work. And then in my little six-year-old brain, I thought to myself, if I could just build up enough speed, maybe that's what I'm missing. And before mom even noticed, I ran outside of the house in my underoos into the front lawn. And it was there that I noticed a ladder that was leaned up against the side of our carport. See, my dad had been cleaning some gutters earlier and so... As a six-year-old kid, I proceeded to climb up to the roof of my house. Now, lucky for me, a neighbor noticed a crazy little Indian kid in nothing but his underwear on the roof of a house, and, and he called my mom, and she stopped me before I tested out my plan of flight. And I learned a very valuable lesson that day. I learned that Superman was not above getting grounded as my mom laid down you know, a, a, a little bit of discipline on my little Indian booty. But in hindsight, I was lucky because I might have met Jesus that day if I had actually acted out my plan. But see, when we buy into a lie, we can wind up looking absolutely ridiculous and missing out on the goodness of God. Now that's my underoo story, but for some of us, the story is gonna be a lot worse. Because like the Pharisees, we've bought into the lie that Christianity is all about external appearances. And so we've clothed ourselves in good works and rules and church attendance and our appearance. And we've left Jesus completely out of the equation. So today I want to declare not only how to get to heaven, but how to get the most out of life here on earth because again, I don't want anyone in this church to one day stand before Jesus and look ridiculous. So today we're going to cover three things that reveal that Jesus is the gate. And in the process, we're going to unpack one of the scariest passages in all of scripture. But it's a passage that I believe doesn't have to be that scary for us if we really understand what Jesus was talking about. So here we go. If you're taking notes, point number one is this. Number one, it's about what Jesus said. It's about what Jesus said. And this is true for me. Maybe you can relate. But there have been times in my life where somebody has told me something, but because I didn't like what they said or because of who said it, I wasn't able to receive it. But here's the deal. Truth is not based on whether or not we like something that is said to us. 
It's not even based on what we think about who said it. Truth is truth. And so this is what Jesus said about eternity in Matthew 7, 21. Jesus said this. He said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Now, this is Jesus speaking the son of God, the guy who died and rose from the dead. Jesus is the authority on the topic of eternity. So let's unpack this for a minute. He says, not everyone, everyone here, everyone watching today is one day going to stand before Jesus. Everyone. Now you might push back and say, well, Pastor AJ, I don't, I don't think I even believe in God. I'm an atheist. One day you won't be. I can promise you that. When you stand before him one day, you will believe. One day, every one of us is going to stand before Jesus and we will be held accountable for how we lived our lives, how we treated our parents, our spouse, our children, the people around us. We're going to be accountable for how we spent our time, our resources, our money, our talents. We're all going to be held accountable. In fact, Scripture says this in Hebrews 9, 27, that people are destined to die once and after that to face judgment. We have one life. We die once and then we go and stand before Jesus for judgment. And Jesus said, not everyone who said to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. That's what he said. In other words, not everyone who identifies as a Christian is really a follower of Jesus. Now, we want to push back on that. We want to say, well, pastor, I don't really like those passages of scripture. And I get that. They kind of bother me too. But it's still true because Jesus said it. Jesus said there are some people who are going to talk the talk, but they're not real. They're phony. They don't know him personally. They haven't entered through the gate. They're trying to jump the fence. And again, Jesus was talking to religious people when he said these things. He wasn't talking to the sinners. He wasn't talking to the tax collectors. He wasn't talking to the people on the outskirts of society. He was talking to the most religious people on the planet. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. And there's an example of this in scripture. You ever heard of a guy named Judas? Yeah. You know, Judas was physically closer to Jesus than any of us will ever be in our entire lives. I mean, he looked at him face to face on a daily basis, and Judas missed it. He completely missed him. And Judas isn't alone. There are people in churches all over the country, probably in this one, who are on the same path. And so again, Jesus said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. So what then is God's will for us? Well, here's what scripture says in John 6:40. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him, everyone who goes through the gate shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. Jesus said, here's the deal. If you want to be made right with God, if you want to be forgiven of your sins, if you want to have eternal life, it comes through a relationship with me. That's what he said. 
He said, I am the gate. I don't know if I like that, Pastor. It doesn't mean it's not true. Number one, what Jesus said. Number two, what they said. What they said. I've been in church world for about 30 years now, and I believe some of the craziest people on planet Earth are found in churches. I mean, I'm one of them. You have to be a little bit crazy to go into ministry. But if you've been in church world for any length of time, you've probably met some crazy people, right? And in fact, if you can't think of one, you might be the crazy person. So <laughs> ask somebody you trust at lunch today. They'll, they'll let you know. Um, I, I know a pastor named Judd Wilhite um, who has a church in Las Vegas, which I think is, is kind of cool. Um, and they, they had a visitor one Sunday morning come down the aisle to pray at an altar just like this. And they have greeters who will, who will come and, and pray with folks if they need someone to pray with them. And they had a greeter praying with the guy, and the greeter quickly realized it was a problem, so he went and, and got the pastor for some backup. And, and the pastor goes over to the guy, and he said, hi, what's your name? And the guy said, well, hello, pastor. My name is Jesus. And the pastor was like, is that Spanish? Is it Jesus? And the guy's like, no, no, I, I'm, the real, I'm the real Jesus Christ. And the pastor's like, uh, yeah, no, you're not. And the guy's like, well, how do you know? And the pastor says, well, because the Bible says that Jesus ascended into heaven. He sits at the right hand of the Father. And when he returns someday, he will come riding in on a white horse with a double-edged sword. And it will literally be the end of the world. And the guy just looked up at the pastor and he said, pastor, the plans have changed. See, that's the problem with church today. We try to redefine what Jesus said and what salvation is. But we see this in Matthew 7, verse 22. Jesus said, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Jesus is trying to warn us that many religious people, many good church people are one day going to miss out on heaven because they missed out on Jesus. There are going to be many people who stand before a holy God one day and say, Jesus, look at all the good things I did. And Jesus is going to say, I never knew you. Now, church, don't get me wrong. There's nothing wrong with doing good things. I mean, one of our core values is that saved people what? serve people. Saved people serve people. We believe that. The problem is many people wrongly believe their good deeds means that they're going to get into heaven. In this passage, Jesus reveals that there are going to be people one day standing before him with a resume a mile long of all the great things that they've done, but they never knew him because they never had a relationship with him because they trusted only in their good works and not in a personal relationship with Jesus. Well, pastor, how do I know I have a personal relationship with him? It's a good question. I think there are three questions that might help you with that. Question number one is this, if you're taking notes, when did I give my life to Jesus? When did I give my life to Jesus? In John chapter three, there's an account of a Pharisee named Nicodemus who came to Jesus at night because he didn't want the other Pharisees to see that he was talking to Jesus. It was the, the very first Nick at night, okay? And he said, Jesus, I believe you're a great man who's done some great things. You're awesome. 
And this guy, Nick, was a leader on the Jewish council. Like, he knew the Bible. By the world's standards, he was a really good person. And here's what Jesus said to him in John 3, 3. Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. And here's a quick fact about birth. Birth has a defining moment, right? Like everybody has a birthday. So here's what I want you to do to help me out. Let's do a little exercise this morning. Go ahead and pull out a pen or your cell phone if you can take notes on your cell phone and type. Go ahead and do that. Grab a pen or, or pull out your cell phone to take some notes. And I want you to jot something down. Just really quickly jot something down. Very simple. Okay, you guys ready? I want you to jot this down. April 4th. April 4th. Well, Pastor, that was Easter this year. Yes, that was also my birthday. And I like gift cards to the Apple Store, Texas Roadhouse. Don't stop writing. This is good stuff. Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. Thank you, Christine, by the way, for those. And Corvettes, okay? I'm just saying, if you hook a pastor up, you might be blessed, okay? But let me tell you what wouldn't happen if you asked me when my birthday was. I wouldn't have said, um... I don't know, I don't really have a birthday. I've just always been. If I would have said that to you, you would have been like, uh, check please, I gotta go, right? Security, this guy's lost his mind. Why, because everybody knows their birthday, why? Because it happened. It was a defining moment. So let me ask you, when did that happen spiritually for you? Question number two, was it my decision? Was it my decision? In church world, we're horrible at this. There are so many Christians who live off of their parents' faith or their grandparents' faith. And you got dragged to church every week and you did your coloring pages while you sat in the pews and your parents or your pastor told you there was no chocolate in hell and you liked chocolate, so you became a Christian. And then you just started to do what your parents did. You would sleep during the sermons just like your dad used to. See, here's the deal. Some of you guys... You experienced some kind of a ritual as a child. I mean, maybe you got sprinkled with water as a baby. And you know what? That was a significant thing. I'm not knocking that. That was a significant thing. Your parents made a promise to teach you about God and to raise you in the church. But that ritual didn't make you right with God. It just made you a wet, angry baby. Okay? You were probably nice and warm and sleeping and someone threw water on you and you're like, what's your problem? And started crying. You didn't enjoy that. That wasn't your decision. See, scripture doesn't say you're saved because you went through a confirmation class or because you prayed at vacation Bible school or a teen retreat because your friends were all doing it and you didn't want to be left out. When was it personal for you? Question number three, am I any different? Am I any different? Another one of our core values here is that changed people change. We believe that because we believe you can't meet Jesus and stay the same. You can't. Listen, if you're a follower of Jesus, you can't act one way here on Sunday and act like hell the rest of the week. Some of you think, well, pastor, that makes me uncomfortable when you say that. You know what? There are too many pastors worried about making people feel comfortable and not preaching the gospel. There are people who are going to miss the true gate and bust the gates of hell wide open because of it. Here's what the Bible says in Ezekiel 36 about what a changed life actually looks like. 
He says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. When we begin a relationship with Jesus, he begins to matter to us. And you know what? That doesn't mean you're perfect, but the things that matter to God start to matter to us. And we start taking next steps in our walk with him. And our focus in life, it moves away from our self and our selfishness, and it starts to shift and lean towards God. We go all in, and God takes his rightful place as first in our life. And that, according to the scriptures, is what a follower of Jesus Christ looks like. Number one, what Jesus said. Number two, what they said. Last point today, and then we'll wrap up. Number three, what will be said. What will be said. There are people here today, and you've had some conversations with Jesus, but you've never had a conversion. You don't have a personal relationship with Jesus. You don't know him. And that's why Jesus said in Matthew 7, 23, that this will be said to many people someday. Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. He said, we never had a relationship. And again, church, these were religious church people that he was talking to. These were not the sinners. These were not the tax collectors. These were not the outcasts of society. He was talking to the most religious people on the planet when he uttered these words. These people may have known about him, but they didn't know him personally. For some of you here, you try to be a good person. You try to be religious, but in your heart of hearts, you know that you don't have a relationship with Jesus. Jesus said, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. So here's my question for you as we end today. If you passed into eternity tonight, would you enter through the gate? Do you know Jesus personally? Can we pray this morning? God, my prayer this morning is that this would not be business as usual on a Sunday morning but that many of us today would do a serious gut check. Here's the invitation, and it's simple. There are people here today, there are people watching online today, and you know you need Jesus. And you may have heard it for the first time today, you may have heard it the last several weeks in this series, but if you need Jesus, that's something you need to nail down. And you know what? If everyone here this morning at 1030 is right with God, praise God, we'll go home. But if you know you need Jesus, now is your opportunity to get things right. So here's what I want you all to pray this morning. I want you to pray, dear Jesus, if I need to get right with you, knock on the door of my heart. Dear Jesus, if I need to get right with you, knock on the door 
of my heart. And if he starts knocking, you raise your hand right now. If he's knocking on the door of your heart, you raise your hand and you acknowledge that. I need Jesus in my life. Is there anyone here this morning? You know you need him. Lift up a hand. Praise God. I see that. I don't care if you've been in the church for 50 years. Here's your opportunity to take a step into a personal relationship. Dear Jesus, knock on the door of my heart. If your heart is pounding right now, I want to give you one more opportunity. Lift a hand. Praise God. I see another. Praise God. I don't want to let this moment slip by. So I'm going to ask one more time. Praise God. I see that hand as well. See another. Is there anybody else this morning? You know you need Jesus. Get it right today. Praise God. I'm, I'm going to lead you guys in a prayer this morning. And there's nothing magical about this prayer at all. It's simply a way to communicate what God is doing in your mind and in your heart right now. It's simply a way to acknowledge that you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. And as scripture says, you will be saved. All your wrongs for all his right. So that's the prayer I want to lead you in today. Can we pray this out loud? You can pray it from your heart. It's not too late to. Even if you're scared to lift a hand right now, don't worry about who's around you. This is between you and your Savior. Would you pray, Heavenly Father? Thanks for loving me. God, thanks for meeting me right where I'm at. God, today, I want to make this personal. All my wrongs for all your right. Today, I want to move my faith off of myself and what I've done onto my Savior, Jesus, and what you've done for me. Jesus, I believe you died for all my wrongs. I believe you rose again, that you're the Son of God. For the rest of my life, God, help me to love you. Help me to walk in a personal relationship with you day by day, step by step for the rest of my life. I love you, God. Thanks for loving me first. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Church, can we celebrate some decisions made this morning? Praise God. Let's stand together and continue to celebrate what God is doing.
Praise God. For those of you who, um, who made an incredible decision today, I believe it's the greatest decision you could ever make in your entire life. Uh, I just want to let you know this is the beginning of just an incredible journey. And so you know, in the lobby today, Pastor Cheryl is, is going to be out there and um, Pastor TJ and uh, Pastor Nancy are all going to be out there. I, I'd love it if you'd be willing to just share with them and say, you know what, I just want to let you know I made a decision today. I know it's COVID and stuff going on, but they'll probably slap on some hand sanitizer and just want to give you a high five and uh, help you with some next steps and to start a conversation. For those of you watching 
online, if you made a decision, I want to let you know, you can just write into us at uh, spcnazarene at gmail.com and let us know, or just call into the church. We want to celebrate what God is doing in your life and let you know that we are here for you every single step along the way in this brand new spiritual journey and a personal relationship with God. Um, let me pray blessings upon you right now. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for just this incredible group of people, Lord, today, Lord. I just thank you, Father God, for, for being the amazing God that you are, the God who is not distant and uncaring, but the God who's personal, the God who's relational, the God who actually cares about our lives, our future, our eternity. God, you're amazing. And Lord, I, I just pray right now you would give us wisdom to know what to do with what we heard here today from these incredible words of your son, Jesus, where he said, I am the gate, that I am the way to salvation. Father, there might be some folks who are just still wrestling with that and are still seeking you, Father, I pray that, that you would just make yourself clear to them in the days and weeks ahead, that you would knock on their heart until there's no way that they can deny it, Father God, but to respond. You are, you are the God of life change. You are an incredible God. You're the one who opens doors, who parts seas, who makes a way. The God who longs for personal relationship with us. I love you, Lord. Father, I just pray that, that you would help those who are still seeking you. And Father God, may we never fall into the trap as the Pharisees did of, of just religion. God, may we remember that it's always about love, it's always about relationship. And may we always walk in a relationship with you day by day, step by step, from now into eternity. We love you. We pray these things today in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys. I hope you have an amazing week. Hope to see you back next Sunday as we continue in our series called I Am. And please remember as you exit today, we're going to exit out the far right doors and practice social distancing on your way out. God bless you guys. Have a great week. Give me faith. Just trust what you say. That you're good and your love is great. I'm broken inside. I give you my life. Give me faith to trust what you say. That you're good and you're. Great.